it felt validating to me. It felt things are kind of aligning for me. And I think that when we make decisions based on what we really want and what feels right and what feels right for the people that are important to us, at least from my experience, the past few months, things just, things align and things work out how they're supposed to work out. And I felt just so proud to be a purple patch athlete when I crossed the finish line. I felt I felt really excited for the people who invested in me and who believe in me. And it felt like such a team victory. I train with Sarah Piampiano and she has been so incredibly gracious and generous with me she like doesn't hold anything back I was riding on her wheels I just have all these people I guess that that are so generous and giving to me and so this felt like maybe a little bit of a gift to them That was Chelsea Sidaro on her win at Ironman 70.3 Indian Wells, and this is the Yogi Triathlete Podcast. Welcome back to the show. I'm Jess, and I am your host. We are launching this podcast on Christmas Eve 2018, and no matter what holiday you celebrate, I hope these days find you guys on a path to living your best self. If you've been listening to this podcast for a while, then I can only assume that you're well on your way. Every week, we bring the YT community a story of someone who is looking, finding, and living their purpose. And to me, purpose means that you are walking that warrior path because purpose requires us to be us, to embrace our greatness and share our gifts, no matter how scary, daunting, or exciting they are. It requires us to take risks and follow callings. Chelsea Sodaro is most certainly someone who is walking this path and living a life of courage. After four years as a professional track and field athlete, Chelsea began her triathlon career at the age of 28, starting out as a competitor on the Fast and Furious International Triathlon Union Circuit. Chelsea found an incredible match for her fiercely competitive demeanor, but also she found a loneliness on account of being away from her husband. Chelsea was living and training in San Diego while her husband remained in their home in the Bay Area. Coupled with an international travel schedule, Chelsea was beginning to listen closer to a calling to go longer. Chelsea knew that if she transitioned to long course triathlon, she would be able to live at home, train locally, and pick her races on her schedule. She did just that. She moved home and started training locally with Purple Patch Fitness under the guidance of Matt Dixon. Just three months after beginning her long course venture, she raced Ironman 70.3 Waco, where she earned a podium spot after a less than perfect day. Chelsea returned to her training with a bright light shining on her opportunities for growth and put everything to the test just a few weeks ago at the inaugural Ironman 70.3 Indian Wells, where she claimed her first 70.3 victory. Chelsea followed a calling and walked into the unknown, something that she says she's not afraid to do. And now she feels more embraced and connected with her community than ever before. And as you will hear, Chelsea's story is just another example of how the universe conspires to support us when we follow those deep callings towards fulfillment. 
Thank you so much for tuning in today. We are grateful for you. We are grateful for Chelsea. And we are grateful that BJ and I took a massive leap into the unknown and that we are all here together again this week. The connection of the YT community grows stronger every day. We have a few new team members that are getting ready to start training with us in January and know that we've got a few more spots. So if you're looking to take it all to the next level, give us a shout out on any of our social outlets. Alrighty, you guys, let's dive in with a fast and furious triathlete, a girl who is passionate about pushing her limits and someone we will no doubt be seeing more great things to come, Chelsea Sodaro. Everything I've read, like the stuff on Transition 4 and, you know, just even your email that you sent to us, I love this uh, drive that you have to just see how what you can get out of yourself in this life and I think that that's very much the way that BJ and I live Mm -hmm. and you know the piece that kind of makes us shake our heads and and grow more compassionate when we don't see that drive in people it's like how can you not want to get the best out of yourself in everything that you do so I'm psyched that you're here thank you well thanks for having me on I um I've listened to a few of your podcasts because some of my friends have been on. Um, So it's been fun to follow you guys and cross paths a few times. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I actually didn't even know you were racing in Indian Wells. And then I saw you come out of the swim and you're peeling off your wetsuit and you're like in the little ITU. I'm like, oh, my God, don't tell me she's getting on the bike in that bathing suit. (laughs) Of course you did. But that's what it takes to win. Yeah, I know. I know. I'm like working on getting my equipment dialed in so that's been a project there's so much more that you have to worry about when you're racing for four plus hours yeah yeah all right comfort matters yeah yeah comfort matters i always say like take the time yeah like limit the suffering because the suffering is going to be available and so limit the suffering by having the gear dialed in and the comfy kit and the one that you just feel so good in and you feel like you look good in it and uh those things make such a big difference so let's dive in i'd like to dive in like um so indian wells was your second 70.3 yeah that's correct and you raced waco um so you've done two 70.3s the first one you got third place, although you were going there to win. And then the second time you went and took the podium, you won the whole thing. What took you from the Olympic distance draft legal racing to the longer distances? Yeah, you know, I had an inkling the whole time that I was doing ITU that the longer distances would suit me. But I was still like very much committed to this Olympic dream and I was training in a daily environment with a high performance squad. So that felt like the right thing to do for a while while I was doing it. Um, But I've been pursuing the Olympics for, for a long time now, since I graduated from college in 2012. And um, I had loved the journey of that pursuit, but within the last six months or a year, it started to feel like a sacrifice to me. And it had never felt like that before. I had always loved the journey and loved the challenge of of that pursuit. But, um, you know, I was living away from my husband. He works in the Bay Area and I was training in San Diego and 
traveling for half the year and he's been really my biggest champion as an athlete. Um, we've known each other since I was 18 and he was the one who really encouraged me to pursue professional track and field and then triathlon and to be away from him and not experiencing the sport and my daily pursuit of excellence without him wasn't fulfilling to me. And I actually decided to make the move to um, long course after like my biggest victory in triathlon. I won the Huatulco World Cup, which was something that I had been striving for ever since I started ITU. And I felt like that was going to be like a big race that would, you know, launch my career. But when I crossed the finish line and he wasn't there because he couldn't travel to Mexico with me, it felt kind of empty. And so I came back up to the Bay Area and um, I know I knew that I needed to make some changes to how I was pursuing sport. And and I felt called to long course. I wasn't I wasn't sure if I wanted to give up on ITU right away, but I started um, reaching out to some coaches and asking what they thought and um, it felt like the right move. Yeah. And so the first time you and I met, we, I don't know if you remember this, but you and I met at Oceanside this year, uh, earlier oh, that's, this year. I do remember. Yeah. I yeah. Remember. Yeah. Yeah. You were with Claire and, and Yuko and, and, um, yeah. Yeah. And that, and you had the goo hat because I was in the race <laughs> Okay. And, and I ran by and I was like, those girls are cheering very loud. And, <laughs> and I saw your goo hat and I was, I was wondering if you were on the goo, goo squad and you are, or you were at, at that point. Yeah, yeah, I've been, a, Goo is actually my, um, has been my longest sponsor. They signed me in 2014 when I was still running professionally, um, and I, I was coached by their VP of R&D and innovation um, when I was running. So um, Goo is a brand that is close to my heart. Yeah, we love those guys. We're on the squad too, and um, yeah, they're just super cool, and they're really supportive of what we do and what we're bringing to the sport, so um, it's good to be your teammate <laughs> in that way. So my question is, when we were at Oceanside, Eric Lagerstrom was racing, so were you kind of like, so this is, you know, in April, and were you kind of like, was that calling getting stronger? Because now you're seeing somebody who, you know, was is on that was on that ITU circuit and traveling the world. And now here he is having a, a pretty great success, I think, in his first half Ironman in a super stack field, you know, and really what what we would call in, in the long course, like the season opener, you know, Oceanside is such a popular race. But my question is, like, did that kind of deepen it, seeing him go there? And did you turn to him for any kind of advice? You know, at that point, it really wasn't on my radar. I was still, like, really fired up about ITU. Eric is a good friend of mine, um, and so is Paula Findlay. She was one of my primary training partners when I was doing ITU. Um, and so when I was deciding about going long course, I definitely picked their brains a bit. Um, I've also trained a bit with Heather and Trevor Wortel uh, in like the summer of 2017, I want to say. And I went for some long rides with them and loved that. Um, but it wasn't really until until after Huatulco that I, that I really felt excited about long course. And, you know, the hard thing about ITU and um, – being an American woman right now in ITU is that our country is so strong. So getting on start lists are really hard. And um, 
I still have a lot of work to do in all three disciplines and, and, um, you know, I'm, I rely on kind of what races I get into and that's not always something that I can plan in advance or, um, really know for certain if I'm going to get a start in a race. So I was drawn to the opportunity that long course offers that you can sign up for the races that you want to do and you can plan your season that way. And, um, I was also drawn to this like longer endurance event. Oh yeah. I hear you. Um, you guys coming from the ITU, I mean, we're all, we all know that ITU and, and draft legal Olympic distance racing is changing the game, especially at 70.3. Do you feel like you're like, was that a piece of your confidence coming in? Like you kind of have the speed uh, because that is just the focus of, you know, that sh- shorter course distances? Definitely. ITU is so fast and furious from the gun. And so I feel like I still have the kind of takeout speed that's necessary. I, I'm a racer, which is something that I developed as an ITU athlete. And I think that as, you know, the 70.3 racing continues to progress, that's what you're going to need. It's not going to be, obviously you're on a time trial bike and it's non-draft, but it's racing and it's getting deeper and it's not just about going out there for four hours by yourself. It's going to be more and more dynamic as um, it gets more competitive. Yeah. I mean, you guys are bringing such a, um, I mean, everything's changing. The strategies are now changing and obviously the speeds are now changing because these, these athletes like Eric, like Paula are bringing that foundation of fast, furious speed and racing to these longer distance uh, triathlons. So you made a switch. You were down here with the triathlon squad and you made a switch to Purple Patch. You're training now with Matt Dixon, right? I am, yeah. Yeah. Eo Wang trains with him too, doesn't she? She trains with Mario Fraioli. Yeah, okay. Oh. But she is in the Bay Area. I just caught up with her. Over I just saw a comment a couple that, weeks back. Yeah, I just saw a comment that she um, wrote on your Instagram about how um, you're not necessarily trained in opening up champagne corks. And so. No, gosh, that was embarrassing. <laughs> <That's> okay. <laughs> Nobody's going to Nobody. <laughs> That's right. She does. She does train with Mario. That's right. Um, yeah. So, uh, so yeah. So when did that switch happen? And what was like the biggest shift in d- that you felt in the training moving from the, the Fast and Furious to the Fast and Furious long course? Yeah. The structure of training is different with Matt, um, but it's still a lot of really high end training. Um, I haven't been super confident in my takeout and the swim. And so we've been working a lot on that, working a lot on a lot of speed in the water, which isn't something that you would necessarily expect probably, but, um, that's going to be really important to make the front group and the swim. And then I just need to develop more resilience on the bike. I don't have a whole lot of miles in my legs. So, um, you know, I, I train with Sarah Piampiano and I've um, gotten crushed in a fair number of long rides the past few months, but it's been a really fun challenge. And I thought that I would like being on a TT bike and I absolutely love it. It was a love at first ride. So that's been a fun project, but we do really high end bike training. Um, I'd never trained with a power meter before. So that's been a fun new metric to use. And 
it's not something that we're necessarily married to, but it's fun to see my progress and compare myself to myself rather than racing and practice all the time. And then, um, you know, I, I'm confident in my run, but I'll be able to run faster when I get stronger on the bike. And so we've been working on that combination of doing some running off of the bike and improving that skill. You know, there are so many new skills that I need to work on. I think I'm a, I'm a good athlete, but it's a new sport. And so I need to learn how to be a long course, non-draft triathlete. And eating wells in the, in the Waco races, obviously they were your first experiences actually in, in racing, like, and you say you're a racer. When you take out that, it's two 10Ks basically. Do you take out, were you feeling so giddy like to get out into that first 10K and you're like, yeah, this is like, I know the 10K, but then you have a whole nother 10K to go. Was it more pacing or were you able to, or did you feel compelled to just take it out and just hang on for dear life? Being your first few races. Yeah. Well, in Waco, I looked down at my Garmin um, during the first half mile of the run and mind you, I've never raced a half marathon alone, like a standalone half marathon. Um, and I looked down at my watch and I'm running like 515 pace. And that was not good. <laughs> you know, your legs are so heavy when you get off the bike, regardless of how hard you rode, you've just been in this position for so long that I think it's hard to gauge your effort. Like it's not necessarily accurate based on how you're feeling because you can't pay attention to like how you feel right away. Your legs don't feel good. So you just run. And I looked down and I'm running 515 pace, which was not the pace that I should be running. And by the first mile, things were getting really rough um, with my fueling and my stomach. And I just felt pretty bad all around. So I, um, I think I walked every aid station the first lap of the run. And I got passed by several people. I think I fell back to 11th place at one point. And then at the start of the second lap, my legs started to come around and I started to handle more nutrition um, and pick people off. But it was a rude awakening to say the least. What was the mind? So what was your mindset? Like, were you getting, was it a frustration or was it like, I should have known better? Or was it like this, this is exactly where I need to be. Like, this is, this is it. Like, I need to learn this stuff. I need to be in this experience in order to pull myself out and understand what works for me when it comes to, to nutrition and the, and the longer distance. During the first lap of that race, there was definitely some negative self-talk going on. I was disappointed and frustrated and my race was not going the way that I wanted it to go and you know once I started handling calories a little bit better and my legs started to come around I just realized how long of a race it is like things happen in a four-hour race and you have to stay in the moment and just do your best in the moment and keep on moving forward because you never know what's happening up the road or behind you and all that you can do is control where you're at and what you're doing in that moment. And so I think it more than anything was just a great lesson in persevering and staying present. And even when it's not fun and even when things are going well, as long as you keep on moving forward and you're making progress, things can turn around. You know, not every mile is going to feel good. 
Things are never going to go the way that you expect them to go. In fact, in that longer race, things are never going to go how you expect them to go. Something's always going to go wrong. And you have to embrace that because things are going wrong for everyone out there. Nothing's going perfect for anyone. And so I think that if you can, you know, embrace that and problem solve, then, you know, you're going to be successful. How do you, how do you stay in the moment? Like what's, um, how would you articulate being present? I try to listen to my body and, um, practice cues that I've been giving myself in training. Um, like on the bike, I try to find my position and I pay attention to my cadence and I check my power and I listen to my breathing and on the run, I am, you know, very in tune with my form and, and my breathing and just kind of putting one foot in front of the other. Yeah. So you're just, you're merging your awareness into your activities. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the, that's the definition of flow. But it's not easy because especially when that negative voice is in there just, you know, chiming away, it's a, it can be a constant refocus away from those thoughts and onto what's happening right now, onto the foot strike, onto, you know, what do I need? Do I need to eat? Do I need to relax my shoulders? How's my form? And so I, you know, that's, that's the work I find is, is in that space between the awareness bouncing back to the, to the thoughts and the commentary about what's happening and then our discipline in redirecting that back to, okay, how's my form? How's my, how are my feet? How does, you know, what can I, what do I need? What can I do here? And getting, getting a space between that commentary and, where, and what we're focusing on. Because if we're always focusing on the commentary, which a lot of people are, there's going to be no freedom to be in flow whatsoever. Right. And we're going to have those negative thoughts. Those are, those are inevitable. Um, but it's how we deal with them and how we um, you know, bring ourselves back to the moment and not beating ourselves up. I, I've thought about this a lot recently. I... I find that when I'm having a hard session and things aren't going wrong, I'm so hard on myself. But when I'm able to be really nice to myself and talk to myself and encourage myself like I would to a training partner, things turn around. So I think that, you know, it's going to be hard and we're going to have we're going to have negative thoughts come in, but it's how we how we turn it around I love I love what you just said about like how you would talk to a training partner so there's a there's a wonderful book by Michael Singer called the untethered soul and he talks about the inner roommate and he says like could you imagine if you had this roommate and you sit down to watch a movie and you want to watch the movie and the roommate is just like talking 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 next to you on the couch like oh you know I don't really like this movie or oh I really like that act I'm hungry I'm gonna have um oh god my back hurts I should have gone out for a run today but I didn't go out and it's like how long would you allow how long would you allow that roommate to live with you you wouldn't you would be like you know what this living situation is not working out but at least that roommate is paying rent the one in your head isn't even paying rent yet we (laughs) allow it to just chime away all the time and so i love that like when you're nice to yourself right so when that inner roommate becomes like that just ideal person to live with like your husband or me and bj like when you when you encourage and you talk to yourself in a way that you would talk to your best friend or your husband or your training partner to encourage them um 
everything's going to be better. Everything's right. going to be better because it's going to help you get all your faculties going in the right direction. And we're just so conditioned to be hard on ourselves. We're so right. conditioned. We're, and it's just, it's everywhere. I mean, it sounds so cliche, but it's just everywhere, you know, that you're not enough. You need more. You need this. You're, you'll be happy when, take this vacation. Everything will be different when you get back. And it's just such a load of crap. And so I think being really honest about what you're allowing within that inner roommate. What are you allowing that inner roommate to, to, to say to you? And what right. are you buying into is truth. Absolutely. My coach, Matt Dixon, keeps on telling me, Chelsea, you've got to let this be fun. The only way that you're going to reach your potential and do what you want to do is if you let this be fun because this is sport and this is supposed to be what you love. And you have the serious face down. Like, Chelsea, you have the face down like when you're working hard and like the angry face, you've got that down, but you need to let this be fun. And I thought about that during my race in Indiana Wells. Like I smiled at some of the photographers and um, smiled at like all of the amateurs when we were crossing paths on the run. And I just, I get so much joy out of this journey and, and so much of that too. That's mindset, but it's also the people that I've surrounded myself with. And I, just can't speak highly enough about the team that I have here and that has kind of been given to me in such a short period of time. I've only been working with Matt and Purple Patch for like three or four months now, but um, Matt and other people that have um, joined me in this pursuit are just, just so world-class and so positive. You know, we never know if we're going to get it tomorrow. So... Right. Why not enjoy what we have, no matter what it is? And the more that we practice this state of being, of being in joy, being in gratitude, being, being in this um, feeling of having fun, right? Like you're doing what, you're living your passion. You've made your passion your profession. You, I mean, when it all comes down to it, you love what you do. Is that correct? Absolutely. Yeah, you 100%. love what you do. So joy is, joy is more aligned with who we truly are than, you know, something negative or nasty that, our, that the mind is saying to us. And so if, you, if, if we allow that in, it really is this like allowance in that it's okay to have fun out there. It's okay to be in a state of joy. It's okay to smile at the photographer because, hey, you might get a great pick. And also they might smile back, you know, like there's nothing like a pro that's out there having a great time and representing the sport in that way, especially for the age groupers. You know, everybody out there is looking up to you guys as their inspiration and nobody's paying them to do it. You know, they're not going to, if they win, they're not getting anything when they cross the finish line and um, you know they're working full-time jobs and we see this you know with our athletes too like sometimes it can just get really serious like it's so expensive I'm working full-time I've got these kids and you know my wife is supportive or not supportive my husband's supportive or not supportive and it's like sometimes we BJ has been known to give workouts on on training peaks like just go out and do something that you love today yeah I think that when we're positive and we're when we're encouraging and giving towards other people we get so much back in return and I've just 
really experienced that to a new level the past few months with Purple Patch because um, I swim with Matt a couple times a week and the pros are there and his age group athletes are there too. And, and we do um, a copy trainer bike class once a week as well with a similar setup. And I am so inspired by all of the athletes who show up at 5.30 in the morning. And they're so motivating to me. And I just feel so embraced by the team. And there are athletes there of all different levels. And it's just such an incredible community. It is. It's a beautiful community. It's really supportive. And it find, it sounds like you're exactly where you're supposed to be. I think so. I, My husband and I were on the bus because uh, you had to take a bus at Indian Wells from T2 to the start. And we were like sitting at the back of the bus like bad kids at, I don't know, 4.45 in the morning. And, you know, there I don't know how many people there were like 50 other athletes with pros and amateurs all all on the same bus and everyone was giddy and nervous and I just couldn't help but smile to myself and and that's one of the other things that I love about this non-draft world is in ITU all the pros are kind of like doing their own thing like at a lot of these races you know there may be an amateur race there may not it's probably not like on the same day or at the same time as the pro race necessarily but I love I love how the pros and the amateurs are all together at transition setting up and we're all on the course at the same time and and we're all out there doing it together. I've never heard that from a professional perspective, but I hear it all the time from age groupers like what other sport are you able to be out there sharing the course with the professionals in your in your you know, in your, in the field, like there's really no other sport and, and it's right. Like ITU is, is more separated, but yeah, you've got a chance to kind of ride the bus and, right. and you don't know who's getting on the bus, but it's just, it's fun. It's, and so continue to soak up those moments because gratitude is one of the, I find it's one of the most powerful things on the race course is gratitude because I've practiced it so deeply now that when like the shit is hitting the fan in the body. I'm because just, it will. Because it will, <laughs> for sure. That I'm like, I'm so grateful that my body is responding to what I'm doing. Like, I'm just so grateful that there's this intelligence about my body that's telling me like, whew, those legs are on fire right now, girl. And then it's, you know, that's my go-to now is the gratefulness that the body's working. Whereas before it was like, oh God, my legs, you know, and and I wanted to switch that. So I really started to build the gratitude in the times where it was the toughest. What can I be grateful for right now? Like when your feet are just on fire and you feel like they're going to, like your shoes are going to blow off because they're getting so big and hot. It's like, what can I be grateful for right now? I can be grateful for that. Like my heart's still beating. And when we can be disciplined in practicing gratitude and finding things that we're grateful for in a moment of intensity in our life, that gratitude starts to build and build and it just, it becomes the platform for where you, where you move from. It's really powerful, really powerful stuff. It's definitely, I mean, for sure it's a higher vibration, but it's more power. It's more power than the motivation of anger. 
Anger's a great motivator. Like, I want to get this race mm-hmm. done. It's a great motivator, but it's not sustainable because our nature is not to be angry. So it's a temporary thing. And maybe that temporary thing takes athletes through, you know, years of successful racing. But eventually, that anger is going to fizzle out. And so gratitude is way more aligned with who we are. And that's something that you can feed off for your whole life, everywhere you go. Absolutely. And I think that there have been, there have been periods of my career as an athlete where I have had a chip on my shoulder and where I'm out to prove something. But at, at this stage, I'm more just trying to prove the people who believe in me. I'm trying to prove them right. I'm just enjoying the journey along the way and I'm trying to see what I'm capable of. And I'm, su- I'm super competitive. We did relays this morning in the pool. I haven't done a relay like in a swimming pool since I was probably 10 years old, but Matt divided us up into three lanes with like pros and amateurs mixed in. So probably like people who can swim, like, I don't know, a one Oh two hundred all the way to like someone who's swimming a two minute hundred. And we were doing relays in the pool and we lost every single, my lane lost every single relay. And I was just not happy about it. But, um, that being said, at this stage of my career, I'm more intent on and seeing what's possible for my body. And, and I'm fiercely competitive when I'm on the race course, but I just want to know like what this body can do, what this body is capable of and, and relying less on comparison to other people for success. Yeah, for sure. So let's go back to, um, yeah, because wait, I I just, I grazed over that and that, I hate that Um, because you said something really important. That felt like a shitty interview right there. And I was just like, yeah, that's great. Now let me say what I'm going to say. Yeah, no, that's not what we're about here. (laughs) The comparison to other people is epidemic, right? Especially, I mean, not even just with athletes. You know, I was doing this in seventh grade, you know, like my mullet wasn't as good as that other girl's (laughs) mullet. And um, so... The thing is, is that we to compare ourselves with, with another athlete or another person is such a fruitless journey because we're never going to be them. We are who we are. And we all come here with these unique gifts. And one of your gifts is that you're fiercely competitive. You know, that's a gift. And not everybody is fiercely competitive. But that's, it's the things that you love, the things that, you know, are the fire within you, um, the things that come easy to you. Maybe being fiercely competitive is just something that comes easy to you, not that being fiercely competitive is an easy thing when you're executing it. But it's more of looking at, it's like talking to yourself like you would talk to a teammate that you want to support. Like, what is it about me that I can be grateful for? Because you're here for a unique purpose. You're here to share your gifts. And we need you to be more of you. We don't need you to be, you know, in comparison to the other person in your lane because that's never going to allow us as individuals to really live our highest and fullest expression. Sure, absolutely. I mean, racing like at a fundamental level is, you know, me trying to beat you and yeah, trying to see who's fastest and who is the winner. But I've noticed from my own journey, my most successful races and like P 
periods of training and competing come when I'm just focused on myself. When I'm just like trying to get the best out of myself and not worrying about what other people are doing and letting that noise come into my life. It's when I'm, and that, and that doesn't mean like being completely like selfish and self, self-absorbed in like my own space at all times of night and day. But when I'm just like focusing on what I can do and doing my best right now, that's when I find that I am most successful, if that makes sense. Yeah, Absolutely. of course it does. Of course, because your focus is on you. So we're back. We had a little bit of audio opportunity. Audio opportunity. A-O. Okay. And I want to go back. I want to go back to Waco and talk about when you were moving up from 11th place and then eventually getting to third and claiming yourself a podium spot, which I know wasn't, you know, what you were going for being a fiercely competitive athlete. Of course, you were probably going for the win. But how did that feel as you were clipping people off and moving up in the ranks? Yeah, I started to pass people on the second lap of the run, and it always feels good to be chasing people down. I didn't really know where I was in the race. I kind of, we did a time trial start because the swim was canceled. So it was my first, it was my first 70.3, and it was my first time trial start ever. So that was different, and and when people are starting at different times, it's kind of hard to know where you are unless like you've memorized exactly when everyone else started which I hadn't so I had eventually I had one of the like lead bikers biking with me and I knew that I was in a podium position at that point but I wasn't exactly sure where I was and I saw Haley running and she was moving really well so I didn't think that I was going to be catching her because she had also started behind me on the bike so so I felt like really proud of persevering at Waco but I also learned a lot (laughs) I I learned that I need to dial in my fueling um I learned that I need to like really practice what I'm gonna do on race day as far as my fueling plan um the bike is like very it's a it's long compared to what I had been doing so I think that while you're racing you don't have to be so like responsive to every single move that everyone else makes like there's time to make up ground or put yourself in the position that you want to be in so you don't have to be like quite as reactive but that's that's sort of that's sort of the ego and we work with this a lot of the age groupers they see someone pass and they feel like they, they, it's necessary to jump on board when, you know, the strategy and back to your, your point of like who Chelsea is, like your, what is your fitness right now? And like, what is your racing style right now? And, and not reacting to all that. So that's, that has to be a challenge at first. And it seemed, maybe it was, like it was challenging to see these people fly past you knowing you had some good fitness and knowing, knowing that you're, you're, jam is the run right yeah definitely and and i'm i'm so new to this i don't really know what my racing style is yet like i have an idea of what i want it to be but i don't know i don't really know like quite what i'm capable of yet and 
what the best execution is for me at this point. So it's going to take some practice. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, as you know, you know, you were a professional track and field athlete and then you were ITU, like as everything, it's all experience. Like everything you will take away nuggets of information of what you're never going to do again, what you, where you have the opportunity to grow. And, um, and then of course, always motivation for more, more, more. So what did you take or shift from Waco moving into Indian Wells? Was there anything that you changed or did you just build upon what you already had? I think I took the positives away from Waco. At Waco, I I was disappointed with the result and some of the mistakes that I made, but I also felt encouraged. I felt like that I could be competitive at Indian Wells. My like race plan for Indian Wells was to just like race my race and do my best and not worry about what other people were doing. And I think that I, I did a good job of that at Indian Wells. I think that I made good decisions and everything didn't go perfectly, but I think that I competed well and I, and I was smart on the race course. So, so yeah, I took, I took like the positives I'd say away from Waco and I, improve my nutrition a little bit and I tried to be less reactive I would say at Indian Wells. Yeah because well and I love how you just focus on your race because Haley Chura who won Waco was now back in Indian Wells and did that did that play with you at all like oh she won Waco and now she's here again or was that just your opportunity to continue to refocus like okay this is about me this is about my race I've got to just stay on my day. It was mostly just about staying on my day, but I also like love any opportunity to race anyone who's beaten me in the past. I want, I want to, you know, all of the best triathletes to show up. I want to see where I stack up against the best athletes. So I was more excited than, you know, reluctant to race against Haley. And she's such a, you know, class act and, so I had fun out there racing against her. Yeah. And so we know that you were a little giddy on the bus in the morning, like just kind of getting psyched and, and having this experience that, you know, is so different from ITU racing. You're on the bus with your husband, right? Like how cool is that? So you, you cross the finish line in Mexico and you win the World Cup and he's not there and you're like, okay, this isn't working. And now not only is there, he's like right next to you on the bus going to the start. I mean, he's like... He's probably the, he's right there with you right before you get into the water. So that's, that had to have felt good. But there was a lot of, I don't know how it was in the pro field, but there was a lot of chatter about the water temperatures and things like that coming into the race. And did that affect you at all? What's your relationship with that kind of stuff? It really didn't. It really didn't affect me. I was nervous about the water temperature. And I was like very nervous before the race because there's still like, a lot of unknown for me and things aren't totally familiar but as soon as I walked down to the beach and I was standing like with the other you know you're with like the pro women on the beach before the start and like all of the amateurs are filing up as well and there's so much excitement I just like my husband was on the rail and I just smiled and I I never felt nervous after that moment the entire race and it was so gorgeous there I it mean, was beautiful. It was so breathtaking, that lake and the mountains and the way that the sun was rising. It was, 
it was just amazing. It was such a, a blessed day. Um, so how did the swim go for you? How did you feel? Uh, were you able to do that fast takeout like you had been practicing and wanting? Yeah, I think I had a solid swim. I, I'm improving my takeout speed. I still want to get better, but, you know, I got on some good feet and got positioned pretty early on and came out of the water third. So I think that set me up for a positive day. Like I didn't feel flustered. I felt like pretty strong coming out of the water and that just set the tone. I think for my, for the race, you know, the swim is only 20 something minutes for the pro women. So it's not a huge chunk of time, but it sets the tone for your day and how you're going to approach the rest of the race. And I think that I executed that well. And then it's a pancake flat bike. Does that type of course suit you? I don't know if it suits me or not. I, <laughs> because where you're training is not pancake flat up in the Bay Area. It's not. No, it's pretty not hilly. Even I live close. In, yeah, I live in Marin County, just um, north of San Francisco, and yeah, it's it's very hilly here. But um, it was a different kind of challenge. You're in the same position for a really long time, which is different coming from being on a road bike for the past couple of years, but. You can also get into a great rhythm, and um, I think it was a good practice for me and a good kind of new experience to have in my back pocket. Yeah, so just it, when you get on a flat course, it's there's just yeah, you got to get into that flow. You got to tuck it down mm-hmm. into arrow and just go. Um, so you had a twenty six forty two swim, a two twenty three fifty eight bike, and then how are you feeling coming off the uh, off the bike onto the run? Where what where was she coming off? Um, where were you coming off the bike? You okay? So you moved into second, coming off the bike, yeah. and then um, yeah, how'd you feel going on to the run? I felt pretty strong. I don't think that you're like like the difference with triathlon compared to like track and field or just running is that like at the beginning of a running race you feel good, but from my experience in triathlon, like you never feel like good at the beginning of the run and maybe this will improve for me the longer i am in this game yeah i think, I think it will i think it will i think <laughs> i think your world will be turned a little yeah, bit yeah i think it's, it's going to become your norm you're going to be like i felt really good coming yeah. off the bike <laughs> i hope so um so i felt i felt strong i you know didn't feel like a million bucks but i was moving well and i had a quick transition and i think i was told i heard somewhere that i was like 80 or 90 seconds down maybe. And then within half a mile, I could see Carrie up ahead of me. And then I think I passed her at like a mile and a half or two miles into the race. So at that point I was, you know, deciding if I wanted to run with her for a while or if I just wanted to pass her, like make the move then. And I just decided to run my race and run my pace and run what felt good. And the run was long. It felt long. I was like by myself for a long time. And the course was pretty challenging. The bike is flat, but the run course was on a golf course. And so it was a lot of up and down, actually, which is hard. It's hard to find a rhythm on that kind of course. So I, I just tried to stay in control and I tried to run, how I, run by feel. My Garmin never synced. So I had no idea how fast I was running. So I'm, 
I'm proud of kind of what I was able to do. And, you know, we really don't need as much data as we think we do. Our bodies know what to do if we listen. So that was a good lesson for me from Indian Wells. And um, this was the first race that my husband, this was the first triathlon that my husband had seen me do. And the first time my dad has seen me do a triathlon. And so I had some family and some really good friends out watching me. And so I think it felt like a, a celebration. Was that just so confirming of the choice that you made to go to this long course and you're crossing the finish line, you win, your husband's there, your family's there, your friends are there, and like you're not on a 14-hour time difference. Like, Did that just feel so comforting? Was that almost like the second win of the day? Absolutely. I think that it felt validating to me. It felt things are kind of aligning for me. And I think that when we make decisions based on what we really want and what feels right and what feels right for the people that are important to us, at least from my experience, the past few months, things just, things align and things work out how they're supposed to work out. And I felt just so proud to be a purple patch athlete when I crossed the finish line. I felt I felt really excited for the people who invested in me and who believe in me. And it felt like such a team victory. I train with Sarah Piampiano and she has been so incredibly gracious and generous with me. She like doesn't hold anything back. I was riding on her wheels. I just have all of these people, I guess, that that are so generous and giving to me. And so this felt like maybe a little bit of a gift to them. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> that's so awesome because I know they're sharing in your joy. And when we follow those callings, because I've seen this a couple times in some of the stuff that was written about you, that you followed this calling, like you followed this calling to triathlon, you followed this calling to go into long course. And when we follow these callings, um, sometimes they make a lot of sense. Sometimes they feel really risky. Sometimes they feel really uncomfortable. But the callings just, they just get stronger and stronger. And I think what you're experiencing is that when we do follow these and we walk the path that we're here to walk, that the universe conspires to support us. So, you know, you get this fellow pro who's been so supportive, you're racing on her wheels, you know, you've got the comfort of your family at the at the finish line and all of this confirmation that the decisions that you have made that led you to this win, um, were exactly the decisions you needed to make. But there is unknown at first, you know, when you make that when you make that jump. And our minds really want certainty. And I guess this kind of goes back to what you were saying about the Garmin and how we really don't need as much data data as we think we do. And a lot of age group athletes listen to this podcast. And so um when we get out there on the run or, you know, and our Garmin never sinks, um, if we're attached to that data, then, you know, that that's going to put us into crisis mode. But for you, you know, you've got a mind, we all have a mind and that mind wants certainty because the mind, you know, likes to take that data and information and analyze it and kind of get a reference point for where we are. But then there's also the unknown and the callings that we get from within are always asking us to walk into the unknown. So for you, like, 
there's a lot of fear that can keep people from walking into the unknown. So making the decision that you made, walking into that unknown, and now seeing that and feeling that it was the decision for you, what can you speak to about taking that leap into the unknown um, and you know, being okay with not having all of that data and everything that you're so much more than that? My husband and I actually talk a lot about this because I you know, I'll beat myself up if things don't go right or if, you know, a coaching relationship doesn't work out or if things don't, you know, go how I'd planned or hoped. And um, my husband always says, like, we don't make decisions based on fear. We make decisions with the information that we have and we always make the best decision in that moment. And so, that's how I'm trying to live. And, um, and Matt likes to tell me that, you know, we're like living a life of courage. And sometimes that means doing the hard thing. And sometimes that means, you know, listening to that inner voice of, of what we want and what feels right. And I'm working to listen to that voice a little bit more. Have you always kind of had that like inner voice directing you through life? Like, or is that something that you're just starting to cultivate and listen to and act on? I think that I'm a go-getter and I'm ambitious and I, I get things done. But, you know, there have been periods where I, something hasn't, you know, felt quite right. And usually when it doesn't feel quite right, it isn't the right thing to do. And so I think that it's, it's so important to, to listen to ourselves and to surround ourselves with people that are living a life of courage and are living with integrity. And at least that's who I want to be around. Yeah. Oh my God, me too. Uh (laughs) Absolutely. I don't think there's any other choice because it's just going to be feeding that energy that you don't, that you don't want that is constantly nagging you to get in there. And I think that that watch is such a perfect, it's just Mm -hmm. so perfect. Um, It's such a perfect experience because having that self-awareness and confidence in you, definitely using that, you were able to rise above any sort of panic or fear that would come up because you're not hitting splits or because you're not going to have the data later to analyze and check out. Um, But in that moment, and this is where we come back to always coming back to that moment and presence where you are right now not where you are going to be or where you were but where you are right now you can adjust on the fly and i see that a lot with with athletes and especially the watch and the run where it's almost dictating who they are and what they can achieve and in in the grand big picture of this, if you want to take the big view, it's actually limiting what their potential is. You know, it's great to use as a guide, and I believe believe in that too. But man, when you get to race day, and I just love, I keep going back to you saying you're a racer. Like that's such a great skill to have, like a racer. We feel the, the Brownleys, like they're racers. Like they show up and they race. They don't go to any specific you know, watts or, or heart rate, not, not that I know of, but they're just, they just go out and they race and they let their greatness and your courage just, just shine through. So I, I think that's such a great moment for you to share with age groupers because it happens more often than not. 
I would say. And I'm not, you know, bringing Garmin down, but I feel like it happens to you a lot, BJ. It happens to me. (laughs) It happens to me a lot. So I got to a point where I just don't even wear a watch on the run. And it's it's freeing. It's almost freeing. And if you can have that self, my point is, if you can have that self awareness and confidence in your in yourself, then it doesn't matter what happens on race day. It doesn't matter water temperature. You lose the Garmin data. You don't pace it. The bike right. It doesn't matter. It it means nothing as long as you're confident right. and secure in yourself. That supersedes everything. Absolutely, we can't control the conditions. We can't control who shows up to the race. All that we can control is executing what we the best that we bring, the tools that are available to us on that particular day. And panic is never a good option. Doing your best in the moment is the best option. And sometimes our garments won't work. And that's an opportunity to explore new limits. Like Absolutely. That. What to you, what does courage mean? Courage to me means pursuing my best excellence with integrity and doing the right thing and the hard thing when no one else is watching and giving my best effort every day, whatever that means on that day. I was just reading, um, there's a great book called The Book of Joy, and um, I think it's Douglas Abrams wrote it, and basically he spent a week in India with Desmond Tutu and the Dalai Lama, and I pulled out, and so I like tick all the pages, and I go back through with a highlighter, and last night I just opened it up, and I read a passage to BJ, and it said, you know, when you have a goal, you need to pursue that goal with discipline and dedication regardless of your ability to attain it. Like you have to be so committed to it regardless of if you can, if you think you can achieve it or not. If it's a goal that you have, just go for it blindly with faith and courage and no matter what the data is saying, keep going, keep taking that to exhaustion because your fulfillment is there. Yeah, I think it's such a it's such a gift that we have to be able to pursue this sport. And whether, you know, we reach the goals that we set for ourselves, if we can enjoy the journey along the way in the process and the opportunity to to pursue excellence, gosh, that's living. Mhm. And that's even really, if we fail. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Yes. And and that that's like a you know a really deep spiritual concept of just doing the work for the sake of the work do the right. work every day don't do the work because you're like i'm going to do this work universe and you're going to guarantee me that win you just do the work you do the, and that's where the best athletes are that's the best humans the most successful the most fulfilled the most highly expressed are the people that are just showing up and they're getting the work done every day um, even when you don't want to and when nobody's looking. It's right. so important. So what's what's next? You're in um you're in the off season. Congratulations. Thank you. And what's next for you? So I just signed with team BMC VFit, which I'm very excited about. Um, so I am going to training camp with the team in Lanzarote in January. 
so that'll be really fun. They have an all-star roster that I'm super proud to be a part of. And so I'm looking forward to um, learning from the other athletes on the team. And a lot of our sponsor partners will be there. So that will be really cool. And from what I can tell from the photos that I've seen of Lanzarote, it's just incredibly beautiful. And then I head to Phoenix for a week of training camp with Purple Patch, where we're going to have all the pros and Matt Dixon and um, Paul Buick, my other coach, will be there together. So it'll be a good opportunity to see where I'm at and check in with my coaches. And then hopefully I'll start racing in March. But my full schedule is kind of TBD at this point. Cool. Yeah. So yeah. just you just do the work. Just that's right. When you get to that camp, you just do the work. And you have that's your right. you have your niece spot. I do. I do. Which is just such a thrill, and also really exciting that I can kind of plan my year how I want, and already know that that's there. So I'm not going to have to chase qualifying. I can plan my year to set myself up for performing rather than just you know chasing a slot yeah it's pretty exciting we were, th- we were thinking about that with eric too because i think eric claimed it pretty early mm-hmm. early yeah. on and so he's got time to rehab and time to you know set the set the a great plan up and race when he needs to but that's such a great point like you don't have to chase things like you can keep racing because you'll, you'll probably need to race to just keep getting experience at the at the distance and then and then so exciting to let it fly at the world championships, especially after this year. I mean, so much momentum picked up for that race, just record-breaking days. Like, it's going to be so amazing. Definitely, yeah. And I have a lot to learn between now and then, but it'll be fun. It's a fun project. Yeah, you know, we're, we're here to learn. Like, we're never going to stop learning. And you've already had an incredible career. You know, you were, I think you were a professional runner for four years. Is that right? Track and field? That's right. Yeah, You've got some national titles under your belt. You've got a World Cup title under your belt. Now you have an Ironman 70.3 title under your belt. So I think um, we're super excited to see uh, and, you know, see what's what you're capable of. And uh, because we know you're going to bring it to every race and every training session. So we'll be following you. And thank you so much for taking time to chat with us today. And um, yeah, if you're ever down in San Diego, definitely let us know. Thank you guys so much. Thanks for having me. It's been such a pleasure to chat with you. And um, I hope our paths cross again soon. Thanks so much, you guys, for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed the show. Thanks for taking time to let us know how you're using the inspiration you receive from the YTP to make positive changes in your life. As we continue to build this community, we'd love for you to leave a review on iTunes and share your YT love with the world. It doesn't cost you a thing, and it makes a big difference in our podcast ranking. Go over to yogitriathlete.com and check out the show notes for this episode for ways to connect with Chelsea and other links that we chatted about in our convo today. BJ and I will be firing up the mics this week to record our final Ask the YTs of 2018. So if there's anything specific you want us wrapping on during that chat, drop us a line and let us know. The holiday season in the new year brings so many feelings of excitement about what's to come. But remember, through it all, practice presence because right now is all we have. Never will there be a time when that is not true. 
every single moment that we are given is a gift. So remain awake and ready for all that is on its way. Presence is your best ally for walking into the unknown. And it's the only place where change can occur. So stay courageous with your goals and keep momentum moving forward. Stay present because you are worthy of it all.